Basketball can be a mysterious sport. The team whose logo is in this envelope will have the first pick in the NBA draft. Watch James. Now wanted a timeout, but too late to get it. And five minutes go up on the clock. Overtime here in game one. Will Giannis win a title in a Milwaukee Bucks uniform? It's hard for me to say that, Jay, considering how loaded the Lakers are. I don't know if you've been watching uh, Taylor Horton Thunder over the last couple of days. Uh, but what if those mysteries could be solved? What if those conspiracies are reality? Truth is out there. Can you handle it? Welcome back, everyone. It's been a couple of weeks. Uh, NBA season is starting to ramp up, which means the episodes are going to be starting to ramp up. Of course, I always struggle with the introduction because you clicked on the podcast, you know the name, but welcome back to the Hoop Truther podcast. Our guest host, or not our guest host, he's coming in a second, our co-host, Nick Andre, at Nick Andre ATR on Twitter. Give him a follow while he's not here. Couldn't make it. He's in Florida where a lot of shit is going down right now and he just doesn't have Wi-Fi. So he says he's working on it. Might be back tomorrow. We'll be recording an episode as soon as he's available. Our West Coast standings are still in flux right now. We did East Coast a couple of weeks back. But for this week, for now, we've had him on, I'm not sure the Hoop Truther podcast, but the previous iteration of this podcast, it's one of the few people that doesn't post like articles, podcasts, but whose opinion that I've been listening to forever on the Milwaukee Bucks, one of the few people from my hometown that I am in somewhat constant communication with, Spencer Michaelis. Brother man, how are you? Welcome back to the show. I'm doing well. How about you? I am doing all right. Thank you for asking. Tomorrow is Columbus Day. I don't think it's like a federal holiday for me to get off work, but it's something happening tomorrow, I guess. We all love Columbus what brought us here today, Spencer and I have been watching the Milwaukee Bucks for most of our lives and been communicating with each other about the Milwaukee Bucks for about that same amount of time as well. Um, DM on almost a daily basis of any news, NBA-wise, not just Bucks-wise, but we have been discussing. We've seen them from the trenches, from the mud, to where they are now. So we just want to do a Milwaukee Bucks preview with someone that I know is watching the games. I mean, watch Summer League, watching preseason, just like I am, and just go step by step. I think we can start with where we left off last season. Milwaukee Bucks losing the second round in seven to the Boston Celtics. Not unfamiliar if you're a Bucks fan, even if you're in the Giannis era. And on their home court, 20-point game, not too close, overshadowed by the Suns implosion in game seven. Something I'll be forever grateful for. The Suns always coming to the Bucks need when they need to in the playoffs. And the big storyline, whether you are 
Um, whether you agree with this narrative or not was Chris Middleton's injury that happened in game three, game four of the Bulls series in the first round. The Bucks were able to go past the Bulls fairly easily from there and just didn't have the creation secondary or third creator on that team that Chris Middleton was has been for a decade now and was during their title run. He said after the, the, the team had lost that there was a chance he might have missed a couple of games of the conference finals, too, even if they made there. So there was no point of putting Chris out there on the line. And I think it was a mix. And I want to hear your thoughts, Spencer, a mix of both Chris Middleton being gone, of course, but the Bucks offense much like their defense in the past is be, has become one dimensional, especially if you don't have guys that can just do shit, which is the ball don't stop version of basketball. Something you do need, especially in, in, in playoffs, someone that just gets you a bucket. I recognize that Chris Milton is that for this team is um, essentially the only player capable of that drew holiday. If it's like a special kind of fourth quarter and Bobby Portis in the second and third quarters more so than anything else. That was to me, it's those two things we're seeing addressing. They're addressing both of them. But let's not talk about that now. Spencer, did you see even with the Middleton injury, that team outside of a top five player in Giannis is lacking in the schematic variation that would make them an elite team in the Eastern Conference? Yeah. And to be honest, I feel like we've been saying that for a long time, yeah. even even the year they won the championship. I think that was the knock on the Bucks a lot of the year. Um, Obviously, someone like Bobby Portis is somebody who can get played off the floor yep. in any series, even though he's obviously a great scorer and he's a decent defender when he's up against a smaller lineup. But you get a big like Joel Embiid or somebody like that out there or a Nets team that has Kevin Durant as a forward like he can't he can't match up with guys like that. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, last year, Chris goes out like you mentioned Drew's probably that other guy in the regular season who you're like, okay, let's give him the ball. He can go get us a yeah. bucket. I think in the playoffs, there's probably some fatigue on that side of the ball for him because yeah. he is being asked to play full court defense, 45 minutes a game almost. Um, and the offense just hasn't been as consistent. Like if you get regular season Drew and postseason Drew on defense, that's like a top 15 player in the league probably. 100%. But, 100%. Uh, that's a lot to ask. So I think it was definitely, you see it with Brooke and then now Serge is his backup. Like it's harder to go small with your big still. Yeah. Nice that they can both spread the floor, but mm -hmm. neither of them make shots. Brooke didn't shoot well at all in that Boston series, obviously. Very yeah. few did, but. Um, right. <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah, that was a, I mean, that was the other big thing. There were plenty of open shots to go around. Grayson, who was on fire in that bowl series, yeah, he had plenty of open shots, but um, it just didn't. It, yeah, it didn't work out that time. I think they could have won that series with or without Chris. I so agree. that excuse, I don't love that, but I also don't disagree that if they have Chris, I think they win it. I'm of the opinion away. that if you can win it in seven without your second best player, you should, and it should be looked at as, if not a failure, a disappointment that you did it. Like, 
it's not many years and the East has only gotten, in my opinion, significantly better since last season, just like the Western conference and the bucks are lined up. Let's talk about, let's go to the roster. Now we talked about what was missing last year and they've done some addressing of it in both the scheme and preseason as well as on the roster. So let's talk about subtract subtractions. None. If you want to count Dante DiVincenzo as part of the regular season rotation traded at the trade deadline, that counts as some form of, of loss. But beyond that, they re-signed Javon Carter to a one-year deal, Wes Matthews and Sergi Baca as well. George Hill opts into his player option, and the GOAT Bobby Portis comes back on four years, $48 million, something like that. In my opinion, could have easily gotten 15 to 20 on the open market, especially last year. Still, my opinion that if you swap him and John Collins right now, he's a better player for Atlanta than John Collins is. That's how good Bobby Portis is, especially in this scheme. If he was in a scheme with a real scorer as a point guard, he would be doing even, you know, two time all star type shit, I think. And he's my pick for sixth man of the year. But that's everyone that they brought back. Consistency is cool in the NBA if you have a top five player. If not, you're going to see some attrition, just like you will see with the Memphis Grizzlies this year, in my opinion. They also added Joe Ingles, who will be back in December or January from a torn ACL. The big offseason get for the Milwaukee Bucks was Joe Ingles, and it makes sense. I want to hear your thoughts. So let's just go to you first, Spencer. I have my own thoughts on Joe Ingles, what he brings to the team, but you were someone that was not um, overreacting to the Ingles signing immediately on Twitter, like certain people on this podcast were. So initial thoughts from you, and then let me hear a little bit about like what is fit with the team is, do you buy that he's a big get for the Bucks? Yeah. Um, when the news first broke that he was being signed, I'm not going to lie. I kind of assumed it was going to be for, a veteran minimum, just because he was coming off the injury, probably going to be out for about half the season. Um, when I found out it was the MLE or the taxpayer MLE, I wasn't, yeah, was not thrilled. Right. Um, but as you saw the offseason go on, that everyone was signing for more than that. I mean, right. Lonnie Walker was a decent sign at that at that slot. But yeah, other than that, it wasn't really, there weren't many options that were better, I would say. So by the end of the free agency period, I was feeling pretty good about it. Um, in terms of what he brings to the roster, I do think one of the most underrated things about him since he's been in the league is his ability to create in the pick and roll. Right. I feel like I know like hardcore basketball fans know about it, but I feel like a casual fan mostly will watch him and go, he's a spot up shooter. He's a slow dude with not much athleticism and he's an right. okay defender because he's smart. But he's one of the better pick and roll ball handlers and creators, especially as a secondary guy right. in the league. Um, now, will he be off of a torn ACL? Hard to say, but um, if you get the guy who was playing pre last year's jazz team um, or even close to it, I think he does add something in that regard that the Bucks don't have outside of Drew, Chris and Giannis um, in the pick and roll game. The only guy looking back at the offseason in retrospect after everything, I had the same uh, I, when it was the full Emily, I was very worried that they were missing out on players that they could have landed for that. It didn't become true except for one player. And this would not have solved the 
secondary creation problems for the Milwaukee Bucks at all. They would have had to figure out a trade, likely for Clarkson or something at that point. But two-year deal, six a year with a player option is Bruce Brown's deal in Denver. And I really, like he would have, I am personally of the opinion that he's a starting shooting guard for a playoff team, if not a contender, especially if you have all-stars next to them. And I think Bruce Brown brings an edge to a team that I just loved Denver's offseason in general. Draft picks or whatever, you can have it, but their offseason and bringing, uh, filling a wing room that essentially had no one outside of Aaron Gordon last year, who was more playing a big forward than he was a wing, to add several. I think they did a great job, and I love Bruce Brown. I think he would have been, Bruce Brown is the best we could hope for Marjan is this year, and we'll talk about him in a second. Outside of Joe Ingles, who I agree, people are worried about coming off the ACL. Like you said, if you've watched Ingles in the past, he does not rely on athleticism. He has an old man game, just like Chris Middleton, whose game was unaffected offensively from that torn hamstring that really sapped his, his athleticism years back. It's the defensive side that I worry about a little bit more. Um, He's a smart defender. He plays angles really well. He knows how to position his body. I'm sure he's going to get some charges for the for the Milwaukee Bucks. And it's going to be the best defensive talent overall that he's ever played with. He's coming off a team that has Rudy Gobert, of course, but he was probably, outside of Royce O'Neal, your primary wing defender, which is not what you want. But if he's filling the gaps, I think he can play playing lanes pretty well. I think he can stay in front of guys when needed, especially if he's funneling them to Brooke and or Serge or Giannis. But that's great for the regular season. Like, it sounds great. And the schematic differences, that's cool. But Boston is still going to – they're going to find out whether he can play in isolation or not. There are teams like the Bucs who, for some reason, refuse to find out if weak players are weaker in isolation, like targeting players, the Bucs just don't have a, a guard beyond Chris that really knows how to take advantage of mismatches like that. But the Celtics, who I think we have to treat as the favorite in the East outside of the Milwaukee Bucks, who just went to the finals, they went through a tumultuous offseason. But I think the a lot of the defense is still there and the, the start, uh, the level of star talent. But with, they're going to find out. So, we should find out during the regular season or not outside of Joe Ingles, really the only addition to the roster is 24th overall pick in the 2022 NBA draft Marjan Bochamp out of the G league ignite, which is quickly. And I I'm still shocked that the NBA, not only just the NBA itself has always been bad at marketing, but media in general are not hyping up the G league ignite. They had a, two top 10 picks two years ago, a couple picks last year, they're going to have the number two pick next year. And the guys that are coming out this year look pretty solid. Jaden Hardy is probably going to end up one of those like sixth men scorers that you can find in the end of almost every draft. It seems like Tyrese Maxey types of dudes, not that he's going to be that good. And Marjan Beauchamp has this demeanor about him. Jalen Green, I think he's a prospect that you would worry is like a bit flashy and cares about fame and stuff. But then you realize he went to the G League at night instead of like a blue collar, blue star college where he would have been as famous as he wanted to be. So those guys come out of there a little more mature. I feel like they're playing with grown ass men and both of us are high on Marshall as a prospect. Six, six, seven foot wingspan. And during the draft process that he wanted to emulate two players in the NBA and the NBA current Mikhail Bridges and Herb Jones. 
He certainly has the body prototype for that. And I think he has the drive to become that good. I think I was a little more optimistic on how NBA ready he would be initially than he's shown in the preseason so far. And I've had to temper my excitement just so I don't feel disappointed because it is, he is younger as well. And it's going to take time so far, in my opinion, the defense is there both on ball and off ball. He seems like a fuck up guy where he's going to fuck up your offenses play, whether he knows he's doing it or not. He has a nose for the ball. And I think he is going to be an above average uh, rebounder at his position right off the bat. I was hoping the shot would look a little bit better catch and shoot. The creation stuff is there, but I have no idea how it translates to the real game. My assumption is always that it simply will not, as it does for a majority of players that come over. Um, And the finishing, maybe a little bit of Dante DiVincenzo syndrome, where his three-point percentage is higher than his at-rim percentage for no reason, and his hands look a little shaky because, truthfully, he looks timid on the court. He does not look comfortable or even more so than comfortable, confident on the floor. And it doesn't look like something that's not fixable either. He's around great people for that. Those are my initial reactions from the preseason. Spencer, anything else that you want to add to the Marjan comparison? In my opinion, right before you talk, on paper, he is who you would start at the two guard. And the start with a fully healthy Bucks, he is your two guard if he figures out the fit, in my opinion. But please, let me hear Yeah, no, I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, Watching the preseason games, I was hoping you'd see a little bit more comfortability on offense. He's he just looks jumpy when he catches the ball. He's had a few travels because he's just moving his feet too quick and he's trying to do too much stuff. He's leaving a corner that he shouldn't have left to try and cut. Um, It's all active, like it's good active energy, but it's it's not how the Bucks operate, and I think that's kind of part of the issue. like they, everyone knows if you follow the Bucks closely, they've got the blue tape in the practice on the yeah. practice court where they're supposed to be. Um, and there's been, I've, I've noticed a few passes where he was just a couple feet off of it. And a guy just threw a pass thinking that's where Marshawn is. Right. And he wasn't there and it flew out of bounds. And then you see the vets, they talk to him and they explain it to him. And he seems like he's very, I mean, you can tell he's a good dude. He really yeah. seems to care. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think so far I was, I was hoping I would see a little bit more on the offensive end. I do think finishing wise, he's going to be better than Adante, um, just because of the length. And I do think he, one thing I did notice that I've enjoyed in preseason from summer league, he was taken off of two feet every single time in preseason. And I have been noticing a lot of one foot jumping on stuff. And I, I, a big believer and you got to be able to do both because if you can only jump off two feet you're going to get stuffed at the rim you're going to have shots that you just can't get up and Dante is a two-foot jumper he always had that issue so um, I'm hoping that's a good sign that he's going to be able to get be able to finish in traffic Um, my bigger concern is that I was kind of hoping he'd be able to at least handle the ball a little bit when he's driving so far anybody puts a hand in there and he's losing control or having to pick it up and that that's not a great sign but I would say that was kind of how Chris looked when he first came into the league so it's not impossible for somebody to to get it's probably more confidence than anything also I think it is yeah he doesn't strike me as someone that's going to be like like he's going to 
gain confidence. It doesn't seem to be broken. There are people that you see out there and the first second oh, they're yeah. on against NBA players, you know, it's not going to happen. And that's not, I don't think what we're seeing with Marjan. Um, it's a confidence thing. I have noticed when he runs a pick and roll, I mean, half the time it's a turnover, but it does look more comfortable than when he's like waiting for the ball in the corner, you know? Yeah, so, I'd agree. There's something there. Um, and we're going to see I, I, my actually biggest concern more than anything with Marjan is that what leash is he going to have? Uh, yeah, I was going to go that way. Yeah. Let's talk about that because, Bud, I actually think the Bucks development system, contrary to tweets this past weekend is pretty good. It's not Raptors level. It's not Miami level by any fucking means. Like they are, unbelievable at what they do in both scouting and development, both of which the Milwaukee Bucks lack comparison to them, but they develop their guys. We're going to talk about them later. Giannis is an outlier. He, he could have been drafted to Sacramento and he would have been boogie cousins at worst, something like that. You know, um, Chris, obviously in this system, we'll talk about Pat when we get down there, but one of like outside of superstar talent, one of the craziest jumps that I've seen in NBA playability out of any player. It's so strange. And I think Marjan, like they chose Marjan with a plan. They've got a shooting coach. Oppenheimer has, has great, great success with shot development for players. I'm sure Marjan will be working with them. They know how to put on mass to a frame with Giannis and guys like that in the past. I think that the guys on the roster are going to help him, especially defensively. He's going to be not only mentored, but out there with two of Drew, West, Javon, Giannis, Brooke, Serge at the same time. Um, but maybe it's not going to ha- like maybe he's not going to be Herb Jones this season. And there was a part of me that had some sort of um, excitement, not that he was a Herb Jones level player, but being around so many wing defenders and in a system, like if Herb Jones was in the Milwaukee Bucks system last season, he would have been second team old defense, let alone uh, the accolades he got last year. And he, you know, left off of the old rookie teams, he would have looked like Tony fucking Allen on the Memphis Grizzlies. So I think with Marjan not having necessarily the talent that Herb has would be able to do something, but there's the leash. Bud loves his guys. And one of his guys in particular is still on the team in George Hill. And I think Hill is going to get a ton of run because they need to trade him. Um, And Horace would like to use that contract. There was that report that Hill's $5 million contract was like a deal breaker for the Utah Jazz and the Jordan Clarkson trade. If you're listening to that, you're, this is like coming off as me, but you're a genuine moron. Uh, the Utah Jazz just took dog shit contracts from the Detroit Pistons for Boyan Bogdanovich, who was an actual rotation player in the playoffs, and like uh, uh, not even a pick. Uh, so they would have taken it. I just think they wanted some form of draft compensation and or Grace and Allen, and that's probably what Horst. Horst isn't dumb. I he's not a genius level GM I, I, I doing that, but he's not dumb by any means. And I think that's where the, the conversation goes there, but Hills there, Javon, I, it looks like in preseason, they're going to trot out Javon as the backup point guard and Hill serving more as a combo guard wing type of role, which is how it should have been last year. If you're going to play Hill at all, but that means that leaves no minutes for Marshall. 
maybe the Chris injury at the beginning of the year, possibly, but I feel like that's actually going to bleed more into Bobby's starting lineup and then Sandro backing him up as opposed to Marjan getting more run, which is fine if Marjan isn't ready, but you'd love to see him get some reps, especially with these starters. I want to see him with Drew a lot in the backcourt. Any last thoughts on Marjan before we move on to the projected starting lineup and notes on that? Um, yeah, I mean, the only thing I would say is that I am hoping with Chris out that he is at least able to get somewhat regular run in yeah. games in the regular season. And like you said, the more you can get him with at least two or three starters yeah. on the court with him, I think, I mean, if you look back at Dante, who wasn't great his rookie year, he was playing a lot with Bud. It's true. Um, he is white, though. Also true. Half <laughs> joke. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, I mean, I do think when he gets a, I mean, we don't know. We don't have much of a track record, but first right. round picks, even going back to his Hawks days, Bud has tended to try and get them playing time. Um, I think he does want to see what they can do early on. And then if he has to take them out of the rotation, I don't think he's afraid to, Right. which it's a good quality to have, I suppose. But um, I am hoping he gets a run, especially with Chris out. And I'd like to see how he looks just once it's in a regular flow and he's not playing with a couple preseason right. roster fillers and a couple guys who are bench guys. And it's like, yeah, but his role is going to be the fifth player on the, on the floor in a good lineup most right. of the time. So when he's being asked to be the first or second guy, I don't think he's ready for that, but I think he can help as the fourth, fifth option in a lineup. He looked comfortable in the G League, and you can fudge those numbers a little bit. You can, especially statistics, like your point totals and especially rebound per game numbers can get super inflated in the G League. But I don't know if you can fake like comfort on the floor. And these are seasoned veterans grown-ass men. Marjan was like 18, 19, and he looked comfortable, if not transcendent, which he didn't, but he looked comfortable out there. I have I have hope that he is going to show up uh, in, that, in those lineups a little bit more as he gets more experience on the floor, but we'll see. Projected lineup, this is going to be with Chris Healthy, so fully healthy Milwaukee Bucks, it's it's Grayson Allen's shooting guard position to lose, right? And in the regular season, he's a starting player. There's especially on this team. There's there's nothing against Grayson Allen being a top ten rotation player, top five starter for a team that needs shooting as badly as it does. So we've got Drew point guard, Grayson, Chris, Giannis, Brooke. Same lineup we saw for most of last year when Brooke was healthy, and the year before that when the Bucks won their title. Um, well, they didn't have Grayson, but you guys get what I mean. Drew, I think we're going to expect more of the same. I don't think he's going to show up completely like like a, a leap forward and better, and I don't think he's going to be looking like he's taking any sort of step back. First team old defense type of ballot. Um, maybe, I mean, he's actually every year since he's joined the, the Bucks, he plays a little bit more with the step back three. Maybe he's added a little bit more. He had an off season for the first time in a hot minute, which we should talk about. We'll, we'll in, in a little bit. Grayson shooting looks nice as it always does. He has some rim pressure, not that he's a rim runner or he's John Morant by any means, but he gets downhill 
which a lot of guys don't do. They just stay on the perimeter. Like Duncan Robinson doesn't have rim pressure and, and Grace now does. So that's nice, especially when you have open lanes created by Giannis or Brooke and no one's paying attention to Grayson, a guy that can low key punch it if he needs to, when he gets up close, there ain't no Dante uh, syndrome there. Chris, when he's back, I'm not actually, like the only thing that we worry about Chris, unfortunately, is health at this point. He's not injury prone by any means. And a lot of his injuries have been freak accidents. A little funny and not funny that he has slipped on probably his own sweat multiple times and causing his own injuries. Moist Jordan at it again. He's his own best defender. No one can guard him. But beyond that, I think it, like it's a left wrist injury. He had it like he the surgery was to correct it, but he was dealing with it for all of like like after the all star break last year. And he looked fine, in my opinion. He looked good in the Bulls series. So I'm not worried about it. Giannis, same shit. MV3 is totally in effect. DPOY2 is totally in effect. If they have the one seed in the East, it's very likely that he gets both again this season. And we should all be hoping for it. And Brooke Lopez fountain of youth comes back from back surgery among the scariest things that you can go through as a seven foot 280 pound player like the brooke lopez is and just looked as spry if not more as he did before in I, I wonder if it's a medical science thing or something because they he's perfect and he looks fine this summer and he looks fine in preseason and the thing with back injuries is that they flare up at any time and there, we have no idea when this when this happy train ends but until then Brooke Lopez remains whether you agree or not a top 10 starting center in NBA's league especially in the playoffs and if you wanted to argue semantics I would consider Al Horford on the same level so it's it's purely about veteran, some shooting, even if it doesn't show up in a certain matchup, and the defensive versatility. Brooke Lopez is one of three defensive centers, I think, that can do pretty much anything. I mean, we see Brooke Lopez switch. He's not a switch big, but if he needs to, it's not like end of possession. The dude will, will not follow Trey Young and get a stop. We saw that two years ago. That starting lineup wins a ton of games. That's a 55 to 60 win starting lineup. I don't think you can really argue with that. Spencer, any thoughts? I, I, we probably see some jumbo stuff with Bobby, with Chris out, but uh, anything, any thoughts on starting lineup? Um, not much that you didn't add. I would just say along going along with Grayson, I do think, I mean, people forget he was awesome in that bowl series. He was yeah. really, really good. He shot terribly. In that Celtic series, I mean, he, he, I, I don't even know the numbers, but I'm pretty sure it was under 20% from three. Um, he's a 40% three point shooter for the full season. And like you said, he can get to the rim. Um, him and Pat, I think yeah. both took pretty nice steps in that regard last year. And they do finish when they get there for the most part. Um, I still don't know that he can play in a playoff series, like you right. mentioned, but I think there's a better chance of it working out in most series than not working out. Yeah. The defense is a little bit of a concern, but he does give good effort and he's not normally out of position. And I think that's more than half the battle for most people. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, well, I do think it would be nice if we can upgrade that spot by the time we get to the playoffs. I don't think it's completely necessary because I do think with Brooke and Giannis and everybody else, if he can at least funnel stuff, 
on the defensive end and then just make his open shots, which he didn't do in that series. I think it's a different story for him. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a it's a nice thought to be like Bucks rotation players will make threes in the playoffs. You know, I just enter like they just don't. And I don't mean it like I'm a pessimist and I'm a pessimist in sports in general. I mean, a decade of Milwaukee Bucks fandom will do that until the title happens. Um but they just don't. And thank God that our top five star is a paint presence and it, it, he doesn't rely on his shooting because for whatever reason, not a single person shoots well in the playoffs for the Milwaukee Bucks. The one exception being uh, the all father, Pat Connaughton, who, who, by the way, if it wasn't so important to have a win like him off the bench would be our starting shooting guard and is the best, like is probably the best, the fifth best player on the team. Um, so it, just in case you're wondering about that, that's, that's where he should be. It, Grayson is just more of a shooting guard and Pat can play the three more than, more than he can. Um, beyond him, they just don't shoot. Bobby will like first round and second round, Bobby will hit threes, but after that he won't. Uh, Chris will hit threes and they will be like the, the most disgusting threes you've seen in your entire life. He only makes the most contested of threes oh, yeah. in, later in the playoffs, which is similar with Drew. But you're making like if you're lucky, you can hit 10 threes in the game, you know, and I just don't oh, yeah. think they do for much of it. So it's funny to me when people are like trade for Jay Crowder, who already doesn't hit his threes in the playoffs, you know, like he's going to suddenly do it for the box. Um, but yeah, if he hits his three, like Grayson has a puncher's chance to be a playoff rotation player, which is more than a lot. Of, like it's more than Jordan Nora has. Oh, yeah. And a lot of people have thoughts on Jordan Nora. I think it's a great idea, nor, I mean, and they've developed him to the point where he would have been taken in the forties, as opposed to the last couple picks of the draft. But I don't think he has much of a ceiling beyond that. Not like anyone else. Um, I think this is naturally going into the, the bench players. So let's just do that real quick. The five guys that are most likely to come off the bench right now are George Hill, Javon Carter, Pat Connaughton, Bobby Portis, and Serge Ibaka. I think Ibaka is a leader for minutes, even though, a lot of you know that he didn't get minutes towards the end of last year when Brooke came back. They want Giannis to, and I think this is not like a report or anything. I'm sure they want Giannis to play as little center as he has to this year, which is great because we already know how, like he's, we've, we were begging for Giannis at center for so many years, not because it should have been a full-time thing, but because he needed those reps for when it matters. And now he does. We don't, I mean, you should play around with it when like never, not never do it in the regular season, but you no longer have to do it. So he's used to it. He's used to, he played it all fucking last year. Um, so that, and then Ingles comes in mid-year to take that. I would imagine he takes either Hills or God forbid, Jevin, Javon Carter's minutes, maybe a little bit more, but one of those two likely if they're not moved, Bobby Portis, the six man of the year campaign is fully live right now, but a chance that he, I heard something. I don't know if, if this is, this, this is, I, there's a lot of um, obviously like ball sack sport type of accounts out there, but even outside of that, everyone wants to like pretend that they have a source to like be an actual uh, reporter. I saw something that Bobby is going to have the opportunity to earn a permanent role in the starting lineup with the Chris Middleton injury, which wouldn't necessarily surprise me. And I think, I think if you can't solve the shooting guard rule, like the shooting guard thing, then just go jumbo. That's the whole point of having these guys. And I think it masks Bobby's defensive limitations 
only physical, by the way, his intensity and his effort. And he's actually not like, he doesn't make poor decisions on defense all that much either. He just isn't laterally quick at all and doesn't have much of a vert. It's so funny. So he doesn't, he can't rim protect or he can do like a little bit of switching. Like when the Bucks went to a Bobby at center switch lineup against the Celtics in the second round, it didn't win them any games, but you saw that it had more of an impact than just the advanced drop that they were running with Brooks. So there's something there. And actually that lineup is going to lead into the uh, potential moves on horizon section that we'll do in a little bit. Bench players. I mean, the guys that we left that are Ingles and Marjan. There's one more guy that we'll talk, two more guys that we'll talk about fringe of rotation, but um how do you feel about the bench? We can go one by one. George Hill, <laughs> he said he didn't want to leave on a bad note. That makes super sense. You know, I mean, it would have been a positive note if he had retired, but same time, it's a $5 million salary slot that we weren't going to get back. And I do think it's going to be used in the contract. I think he's going to never talk about Milwaukee glowingly in like retirement interviews because it would be the second time that we've traded him uh, and very likely to a team that has no intention of winning. So I definitely feel that if he, if he is upset, but it's likely that he'll be traded. Um, Javon, can you, can you just talk about Javon for a second? The bulldog, he just, he looks, he looks great. And he's looked great since he put on the uniform. Yeah, no, I mean, Javon was a guy, I mean, I, I watched a lot of college basketball growing up. I loved watching West Virginia when they would run their full court press and Javon Carter would lead the, would be at the top of it he'd just be dogging guys all game and they would score it would be 45 to 43 it'd be a terrible basketball game but he was he was awesome and I love that dude in college um I was excited I liked watching him on the Grizzlies um did not love that he was on the Suns as they were getting better and then of course he was a guy I kind of thought they might throw out there a little more in that final series just to do what the Bucks were doing to them and pick up full court and try and wear down yeah. through so that he couldn't do it to Chris Paul. Um, but they didn't do it, and I'm glad they didn't. Um, then he went to the Nets, and, I mean, they they, they Just used didn't him. use him. No, they didn't use him right. And um, they clearly just – he talked about, about it a lot when he came over, but the Bucks trusted him and wanted him to do yeah. his thing, and the Nets were not like that. He didn't feel that way when he was there. I um, mean – He's just empowered straight up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his shot right now looks so consistent and so good. It's, I don't know. It looks like it's going in. No, no hesitancy whatsoever. He shoots it as soon as he catches it. So many players in this league would be volume three point shooters. If they got past the mental thing of just hoisting it, when you get it up, Pat got past that. And he's a genuine sniper in this league now. Javon Carter isn't thinking about it. Rhythm threes, the end. Like Giannis does, hasn't even gotten to this point. Giannis's three point shot has gotten like to the point where I think Oppenheimer could have gotten free throws out of Shaq. You know, that's how yeah. good Giannis's three point shot has gotten since they actually tr- addressed it as his shot. And even still, you see Giannis hesitate in a lot of oh, threes and yeah. catch and shoot threes that he just he's better off the dribble because he puts himself in a rhythm. It's a James Harden mm-hmm. kind of effect. But the catch and shoot, he stops, he adjusts his right foot, his knee goes a little wonky, and then he puts the shot up and it's just a brick, you know, or sometimes an air ball too, or he pump fakes and then he just, you know, goes for the foul shot. Um, But Javon just has done it. 
He hits multiple threes a game and he has in every single game since he started, like even in the first like couple games of the Celtics series before Hill came back and, <laughs> and just, it just did like Bud just did the thing that every Bucks fan was worried about when Hill came back. And the reason we were worried came to fruition immediately. It was, yep. I can't believe we won a title man. <laughs> with, a, with a worse backup point guard than George Hill for fucking whatever that um, Javon should get more minutes this year. Whether Hill is traded or not, Drew, uh, Javon Carter lineups seem counterintuitive, but if you double up on the intensive pressure and if Javon keeps shooting, it actually doesn't matter, I don't think. Um, we'll see if the shot remains. That's always been the question. As soon as the shot's gone, the the shine on Javon Carter will fall a little bit, just as it did with Wes when he started missing his threes. Yeah. Actually, I didn't have Wes listed on here, so we'll talk about him too. Let's just do him next. Wes Matthews, someone who played so well in the playoffs last year that he got his own Nikias Duncan article written, which is like role player Hall of Fame type shit, I think. Wes Matthews is one of the best screen navigators in the game, has some of like the glue on his hands and a nose for the ball. Um, just a a dream of a perimeter defender. And I don't think we're going to lose any of that this year. He keeps in good shape and he doesn't like, he was an athletic guy, but his athleticism went a long time ago, mainly because he had an Achilles rupture back when that was still a death sentence for NBA players. And then it wasn't mainly because he got a lot of usage and, and contract money from the one team that does this every time that guy is available in the Dallas Mavericks. But he has remained relevant. Um, 72 overall in 2K, I still use him because that defense is like an 80 overall. The shot, um, I think it's like fine. Like it's an average shot at worst, especially if he's in rhythm, catch and shoot. He's not going to hit it in the playoffs, which is fine. You, you, I mean, PJ didn't really hit his threes. PJ didn't really take shots in the playoffs, let alone hit him. So if West doesn't, that's totally fine. Uh Probably the if against tougher teams like the Celtics probably deserves to start at the shooting guard slot if you're not doing Pat and if Marshawn hasn't developed. And I think Wes, who who has been so far in preseason games, he should be Marshawn's number one mentor yep. this year. Um, he's got the same body type. They both seem like humble kids from like nice families. So I would and and. In the first game, when Marjan, as as much as we've said he looked lost, he looked even more lost in those first few minutes of NBA action in the preseason. And Wes is the first person to talk to him in a timeout. So can't say enough about Wes Matthews, who wasn't even signed until December of last year and then played 20 minutes of a game in the second round. <laughs> Pat Connaughton, let's do it right now. Among role players, a Giannis-level jump in like NBA playability two months before the 2021 playoffs started Pat still couldn't uh, stay on the ground for a pump fake whether it be in the paint or on the perimeter no defensive discipline Dante level stuff and his shot was at this point streaky at best um, still had the finishing though he always had that and then the playoffs start and he just becomes 
a disciplined defender, all credit to PJ. I think it's a, a huge role that PJ plays in that run and then hits like a sniper. And the defense, you know, you become a little bit more settled down. You see some of the elites do it. I think you can keep that around. But the shot just remained. He's the best volume shooter on the Bucks that can be in the playoff rotation outside of Chris Middleton, who is a top 20 player. Let's keep it fucking real, guys. Pat Connaughton, man, the gentrification sensation. And I think he's doing some more affordable housing stuff with his next project. So maybe he's opening up for it. In Spencer, you've been watching for a long time, longer than I have, and you've been paying attention to the NBA at the level that you and I both do for longer than I have. Have you seen, like, do you have a comparison for the Pat Connaughton jump? Wow. Not in Bucks terms, for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, there's guys who obviously, I mean, even someone like Joe Ingles, to be honest, was, I, he was undrafted. He was or he was a late second or something. If he was like Pat, um, I think he was undrafted on multiple training camps, including the Lob City Clippers, who needed yeah. a wing more than anyone else in the league at that point. I remember that yeah. specifically. Yeah, he would have been perfect on that <laughs> roster. Um, Pat Bev is similar, probably PJ. Yeah. Even honestly, I mean PJ. Yeah, he went, I mean, yeah. in season, you know, so yeah. weird. No, I mean, I mean anybody who had ever seen. Me tweet about Pat Connaughton prior to the last couple months of the of left, two years ago. You would have thought I was his biggest hater in the world, and I probably was. I mean, I <laughs> I could not stand Pat. I I don't like people who are undis, undisciplined defenders like you talked about. That dude would run from one corner of the court to try and block a shot on the other block. Yeah, and he, couldn't have, he couldn't be close. <laughs> his guys left wide open in the corner. And it was so frustrating. And then if you did get to his guy, he jumped over him. I mean, it was – yeah. I couldn't stand the guy. And he was an inconsistent shooter. Then he has the playoff run. And, I mean, I love Pat Connaughton. He's one of my favorite bucks. <laughs> I like, I love him, dude. Like, he's he took the he took a nice contract for Milwaukee a couple yeah. times. I mean, the first time, I thought it was a terrible contract. Yes, I, yes. I well, was, the first it, time they botched the contract, remember? They well, gave him yes. different terms. They just realized it wasn't a legal contract <laughs> at all. <laughs> So they had to give him more money because they right. got it wrong. <laughs> so oh, yeah, funny. that one felt like the Bucks I'd grown up watching. That was yeah, little, <laughs> yeah, that was a classic Bucks moment. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I just I I don't know. It's hard for me to put into words how much not just a jump as a player Pat's put put out there, but like in my eyes, I don't know if a Bucks player has ever made that big of a switch from yeah. like, oh man, I can't stand this dude to like this dude is one of the most important pieces to this team if we want to win another championship. Right. Effectively untradeable. Yeah. And there's like, unless there is a third, fourth star type of trade in the works, which there isn't. And even if so, Horst would be super hesitant to pull that trigger. Pat Connaughton would used to be because he was best friends with Giannis and it was his workout buddy is just effectively untradeable. It's a great thing for Pat to do. Um, and let's go on to the other darling off the bench, Bobby, man. Bobby Portis is going to go down as the best bench player in Bucks history simply because of his impact to the city. That's just what, I, and people are like, I think I always do this in the podcast, especially when I talk about this Bucks team. 
Um, and I was like, oh, Brooke Lopez, you know, Giannis is the best player of all time. Chris Middleton was like, you know, best second option in Bucks history, shit like that. You just have to realize that when the best team in franchise history comes along and competes for, you know, a half decade, a lot of those players are going to end up the best version of that role in the franchise. It's just simply how it works. You know, look at retired numbers for the Spurs. It's just how it works out. So Bobby Portis is the best bench player in Bucks history. And he is probably like in terms of asset management the third most player like third or fourth most important player on the team same age as Giannis entering his prime if not this season will likely become a front court starter for this team for several years whether that's optimal or not I think he I don't know if he's necessarily a crunch time player but he's going to start a lot of games for the Bucks in his career and if they win even one more 11 and Bob Portis's number are getting, you know, retired among many other of those guys, Spencer, I, we spent a lot of time gushing on Bobby and rightfully so. I mean, the man has an open love affair with the city that a lot of players us, us growing up didn't want a fucking part of give us a little bit on Bobby and then we'll move on to other bunch players. Yeah. I mean, obviously We've been watching him for a long time, Bucks. I mean, wait, I used to go to the Bradley Center for six bucks at lower level, like yeah. 13 rows deep, almost center court when they'd play the Bobcats. Like, those teams were terrible. And half those players, Stephen Jack. I mean, that was Stephen Jackson era. That dude wanted out from the moment he got traded. Um, Corey Maggette didn't want to be there. Richard Jefferson straight up said he didn't yeah. want to go to Milwaukee. Like, so when somebody comes around who's a legitimately good player yeah. and he's this invested in the city and this invested in like, he shows that much love to the city. Like it's special. It's cool. Um, I would not have ever imagined it being the case. I mean, a guy like Giannis, a guy like none of this ever felt like yeah. it was real. Right. Possibility. Right. Um, but then Bobby's a good player. Like he shot 40% from three. Yeah. This isn't like as a big, he's he can switch he's a decent defender he i mean i'm not putting him in drop and hoping he's gonna protect the right he can at least hold his own inside and he's so tenacious that he gets a bunch of rebounds even though he's a little bit undersized for a big yeah. like um undersized but you know he's 610 um, <laughs> <laughs> undersized for a center i guess right um but he i mean yeah i there's not too much more to say he's just He's awesome. <laughs> a genuine three-level scorer at yeah. center, which is super rare. Three-pointers there and the inside is there. And more people than we want to admit have that level of game as a big man. But he just hits middies, yeah. not tween hezzy middies. But he will <laughs> look at you. He will look at you in your eyes and just take the middie. If he doesn't yeah. feel like you're close enough, he does it. And honestly, he, he hits that shit. He's pretty shot. Um, yeah. Post it's, moves. Yeah. Yeah. No, that mid-range shot sometimes looks, it's like, you can't block it. The yeah. way he shoots the ball, it's kind of, I mean, it's not Larry Bird, but it's kind of Larry Bird-ish where it's so far behind his head and the release point's so high that, like, nobody can block it. And he's super confident in shooting yeah. it with a guy right in his eye. Like, he, it he doesn't raise him at all. Yeah. And his tenacity leads to him doing partially his own thing on offense. And you saw it the second that he came in, he posted dudes and took mid-rangers, which Bud had effectively taken out of the offense. Um, and it hurt the offense a lot. It didn't have – it was one-dimensional. Chris, if you put someone in the office on in the left or right block with an underage defender, he has a green light for a mid-range at all times. That was the only time you saw a mid-range 
uh, on purpose in the Bucks offensive scheme. And Bobby comes in and I'm sure Bud like initially tried to coach him out of those shots, but post midi and it adds a complete other dimension to the offense when he's out there and he is not even in his prime. He's like one to two years out of his prime. He he's one of the hardest workers on a team that has among the hardest workers in the NBA. He is fiery and he loves repping the Jersey. Hoping to see a lot more of Bobby this year. I miss him watching him play more than a lot of others. These guys. So I watched Serge Ibaka. Okay. Um, It was Serge Ibaka. We have history with the Raptors Eastern conference finals, where he was a significant part of that title winning defense and the bucks brought him in last year for i would say in retrospect a b deal b minus b plus however you feel about either player but sergi baka and two first round picks for a player that was essentially already traded by the bucks who everyone knew wanted to be moved um, and then was just not retained by the player that acquired him. So I don't feel like, I think we're probably going to, we're either going to see Dante's last year as a rotation player in the NBA or his best year as a rotation player. Well, Golden State is the perfect situation for him, just as it was for Gary Payton the second. He is going to fill that role. That's what they brought him in to do. And I personally think it's going to work out really well for him. And we're, and we're, we already see like salty bucks fans on, on Twitter. I think it's going to work out well because they're going to play him as like a small four, you know, like the third or fourth guard out there with the best shooting in the league. If he can't figure it out there, he's not going to figure it out, but that player for two, three rounds and a guy that you actually end up retaining, you know, Ibaka mm-hmm. comes back. He wanted to looks like Giannis, who is always the first console wanted to bring him back. And I think Serge Ibaka is just, at this point of his career, rock solid backup center. Like I'm not a ton of guys that would take a minimum deal as a backup center that I'd rather have than Serge Ibaka. Defense is there. It's not switch big. It's not advanced drop like Brooke Lopez is running, but it's rim protection. Uh, and you can play that with Giannis. They didn't look great in minutes last year, but you can once they do it. He has good hands, despite what the preseason showed. Um, <laughs> he was showing passes, but in general, he has always had good hands. He should finish off of lobs and inside passes, pocket passes. And the, honestly, the three-point shot actually looks a little bit better than Brooks. When he yeah. actually gets the chance to hoist it up, which isn't often, he doesn't hesitate and it pisses. It goes yeah. st- like he swishes a lot of yeah. threes. Um, I, what have you thought about Serge and his time here? He probably gets eliminated rotation wise in the playoffs again, unless we run into Embiid um, and or Cleveland, which is a very real situation, by the way. Um, but give me a couple thoughts on Serge Ibaka, man. Yeah, I mean, I was pretty excited about that deal when I had yeah. at the time. Um, I think in retrospect, it was mainly for Brooke insurance. Yeah. I think they were worried he wasn't going to come back. Or at least they had that thought in their head. And they they like, didn't think he was going to come back as good as he did. Right. I, that right. just doesn't happen if they know he's coming back like that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, when he, I thought his early minutes when Brooke still was out looked okay. They yeah. weren't great. They weren't fantastic or anything but once he was sitting the bench pretty consistently and then he was getting inconsistent minutes and he was coming in with no rhythm I 
he looked bad at that point. Yeah. Um, but a lot of fouls. Yeah. And just the hands, like you talked about, like all of a sudden he's dropping a bunch of passes. And I feel like when you just don't play much, that type of stuff happens. Right. Um, and in the preseason, you could see it. Usually it's when he first checks in that he's had these drops and he has been missing bunnies. And then by the time he's in the rhythm of the game, like you don't see it happening anymore. Um, so I, I don't hope he plays a huge role this year, sure. but I do think I would trust him. Brooks out for, I mean, maintenance on his back and stuff. They're going to be yeah. safe with him. Giannis is going to get plenty of days off where Bobby's going to play bigger minutes. And then Serge is going to have to take some of the, yeah. the minutes behind. I, I feel good about that. I think he's more than capable of doing that. And then Brooks in foul trouble or somebody, and you still yeah. need that true center. Like I feel completely fine putting him out there. So that's all you can ask for on a minimum deal, yeah. 10th man-ish type guy. 10th man-ish guy for sure. A mature competitor too. Like if Bruka got injured for a playoff game and it wasn't like Jokic, you know, I would feel pretty confident in Ibaka getting 10-15. And for the record, I think this is important to note. It's a system thing. The Bucks have a lot of size. They're not relying on Serge Ibaka to be their big, like the right. Clippers asked a lot of time. And I think, and this is something that I just want to, this is just agenda stuff that I'm, that I'm spitting out. But if an elite team, uh, like an actual NBA team, like the Warriors or someone picked up Marcus all, I still think he would be an effective backup in this league. He just ended up in the worst situation for a center when he was on the Lakers and that sort of ran him from the NBA. But like before we picked up Ibaka, I actually had my eyes on Gasol a little bit. Yeah. Last year. Um, I think that was a rumor at one point, actually, that been. the Bucks were, were looking at Marcus Gasol for a little bit. But um, yeah, then the Ibaka trade happened. And that didn't happen. Yeah. And if the Ibaka trade happens like two months before that and he he starts at center for a lot of games, you know, like it, it, it the timing unfortunately happened where it was like weeks before Brooke would come back. Um, if it had happened a few months before that, he probably looks a lot better and that trade gets a lot more, um, traction, but those are the bench players that we see right now getting minutes for sure. Those six players, it's an 11 man rotation, which is hard to crack The guys that are, there are three. There's Jordan Nora, who is back on a two year, $6.2 million contract. The Bucks staff has a lot of belief in Jordan Wara and they have uh, tried to make Jordan Wara thing happen for two straight seasons. He gets a lot of minutes. He has more natural scoring ability than maybe three guys on the roster. So, and he's six, eight. So I definitely understand maybe there's six, five or something. And I definitely understand that combination means you want to try things at this point. I just don't see him becoming a rotation level player for a team that wins 50 or more games. If he is on, honestly, the Kings with their weird ensemble of playmaking and wings, we always give them our leftovers, but Nora probably makes sense on a team like that or a team like Philly that has almost no creation outside of the few guys that they have. But with the Bucks, it's just not going to work out, at least right now. Again, just like Pat Conton, you never fucking know. But I doubt it. The other one, uh, before we get back to Mar, we'll just talk. We already talked about Marshawn. Marshawn is going to be fighting for minutes. Hopefully, he's a part of like an eight to ten minute rotation all right away. But if not, he's probably going to be fighting for minutes before uh, after Chris Middleton comes back from injury. We already talked a lot about him, so we can move on. I have this in the notes. I already mentioned it. Theoretically, 
the version of Marjan that we think he is, is the starting shooting guard. And hopefully he gets there. And then there's Sandro, Mamu Kelashvili, Mamu, big man coming off of a nice Eurobasket tournament for Georgia. A lot of like solo shit, you know, where he's just like, okay, I'm like the only NBA level talent on this roster and I'm going to exert that, which a lot of guys don't necessarily have the confidence to do. The, the, the I have a feeling that it hasn't meant anything yet, but the Bucks staff should feel very uh, confident in themselves and proud and how far Sandro has come so far. I remember when we, we spoke when the pick happened, and he's in the Big Ten, Big East. I don't watch college. So you got like, because uh, he played for Seton Hall, right? Mm-hmm. We see, if you watch Madison, you see Seton Hall a decent amount of time. Uh, UW, Wisconsin, Madison. And you said right away, Sandro, good touch for his size. With no idea about anything else. But that's worth like a 50-something pick that he was. Since then, the touch has shown. It hasn't extended to the three-point line. He hits threes, but it's very streaky. The post is great, but what we're seeing right now is coast to coast. He takes rebounds and he goes out. He learned that from Giannis. I'm sure certain about it. And he looks, I mean, he's like 6'10". Like he's huge. Bobby can't do that. And he is going down scoring on dude, showing really nice finishing. Like he's a very good finisher, even when he doesn't dunk it. I have no idea what Sandro is. And I don't think he's in line for big minutes this year, barring an unfortunate injury, but I think in my mind, he's an eventual successor for Bobby's bench slot, whether Bobby becomes the permanent starter or Bobby would obviously have to sign off on this and management would never do it without a blessing. But if he has ever moved for like a third superstar or a fourth guy that you add on there, I imagine Mamu is eventually the successor for that more than anyone else on the roster. Any, what are your thoughts on his development? What kind of player do you think he can still be? How old is he? 24? 23 probably 22 23 yeah. yeah um yeah i mean i saw him play at seton hall a lot just because i watch a lot of college basketball and they yeah. did play marquette a lot that's specifically. what I yeah um but he had surprising handle even in college like it was yeah. always they kind of played him as their point forward at seton hall um he definitely needed to put on weight you could tell that right away if he was going to be a big man in the NBA, and he has for sure put on some weight. Um, he's got decent vision. He knows when to pass the ball out of the post and stuff, so I always enjoy that from a big man. Um, I do think the three-point shot's coming. He yeah. hit him well in summer league. He hit him in Eurobasket. Um, he rarely has bad misses, which I think is yeah. usually a pretty good sign. Um but he, yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel like the lack of rim protection is always going to be a really tough thing for him. Yeah. Um, he has a pretty small wingspan for mm-hmm. his size, and you can kind of see it. He gets scored over pretty easily by most big men. He gets, I see a lot of guards finish over him when they're yeah. gunning to the basket, too. It's, it's yeah. similar with Bobby. Yeah. My thought with him, honestly, is that I'd really like him to learn from Ingles. Oh, yeah. Um I kind of think that he's he's more a four. I don't think he can ever be a five, even not even a Bobby type five. Oh, sure. Um, I actually think he could hold his own as a big three, though. Oh uh, yeah, like as uh, he gets older, marketing type of vibes. A little bit, yeah. Sure. Um, 
he moves decently laterally. It's better than like Bobby. It's not great. Um, but I, I really like for Ingles to be in his ear on how he thinks defensively, because I think that's going to be the mm. best chance for him to have um, a legitimate role in right. the NBA. I don't know that being a big is ever going to be a great role for him. I mean, he'll be able to handle it. And I do think, like you said, if we had injury this year and he had to go in and play a decent amount of, I mean, we saw like two ways played a lot last year and yeah, the guard ones, mostly <laughs> the guards played a lot last year, but um, I think he'd be able to handle it better than most of them did. Um, but I, I like him. I think that there is something there. I just don't know where it's going to end up being position wise. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of Christian Wood as a prospect in Milwaukee, like clearly ready for minutes at the four or five spot. There's just simply too many people already that need right. those minutes. At least this time we know that they're not going to just fucking cut him. Um, yeah. Sandro probably, I think Sandro, if you, if the Bucks make a smart trade this year, which I do think they will, I mean, the Horst always makes a move at the deadline and you trade with a smart team like a Danny Ainge run Utah or something like that. And you're not giving up. I believe the only pick we can use right now is 2029 unprotected. Um, and you're not using that. A smart team is asking for Sandro uh, over Nora. I think too. I think there's my people, the league is stacking up skilled bigs and he qualifies for that tag more than he does it. Yeah. Um, if you're, if you're acquiring bull bull, just for shits and giggles. Mamu Kelish really has value in this league as like, like I think he has more value than a second round pick and less than a first right now. It's a sweetener for sure, but I mm-hmm. do think they're going to ask. Uh, and I don't think Horace can say no if the, if the deal is right, right. Um, which is good. I mean, we picked him in the fifties and he becomes yeah. like a serious, like not a serious trade piece, but like a trade piece. If it saves mm-hmm. us from moving Marjan, it's John, you know, mission accomplished uh, still on a two way more. I think more than earned a, spot like here here in the spot more than Nora did obviously those are very different situations and Mamu doesn't seem like someone that's going to take it the wrong way he knows that his time is coming whether it's with the Bucks or not part of the reason we love him so much is just like a lot of people like the Bucks and you don't always have to it can be a detriment but the Bucks really do care about player personality um Grayson Allen is like quote unquote the worst person they've brought in in the Giannis era and he's like a non-talker like he's problematic because of some actions that he takes on the court, but he doesn't make a peep off of it. He's not getting people pregnant. He's not on social media. He's not at the club, which is fine. Like tons of people do that and they're totally fine people and they're totally fine players. But the Bucks like when people are quiet and Grayson Allen is quiet. Um, and Mamu is just like that. He has very good relationships with Drew. If you watch the all access videos, um, he has a connection with a lot of these guys. And I think, a little bit of international flair is, is something. I think that's a big reason of why Sergi Baca was brought back in. I think they really value people with European backgrounds, especially defensively. Um, that's pretty much it for fringe of rotation. So let's do projections. Okay. Let's do state of the Eastern conference. It's a lot better than last year. Okay. Reigning finals team, the Boston Celtics theoretically got better. Um, the coach is out. I really don't want to talk about that anymore. Like not even being like a, 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 a woman that's a fan of the NBA, just being a guy and seeing the discourse for that was the most exhausting thing I've ever seen. So he can go fuck himself. 
And the current coach might have to go fuck himself too, based off the stuff that we've read. Regardless, they're going to be a top three seed in the Eastern Conference. They're not going to fall apart. Rob Williams being out for a few weeks is very scary, but they've got Jason Tatum. They've got Marcus Smart. Whatever our personal feelings about Malcolm Brogdon, he's a needle mover in the regular season, if nothing else, if he's healthy. Yeah. You know? he's, a, he's a good fit for them. Yeah. I, yeah. I. That's like the last place I would have wanted him to go as a Bucks <laughs> fan, to be honest. So Super I, fair. Uh, I don't love that, but yeah, no, he's, he's a good fit for them. They're going to use him really well. Defensively, he's going to be great. I think they're going to... I think right now they have a commitment to Marcus Smart as like the team's point guard that they didn't let him do it for a long time when they did. But a lot of those crunch time units will have both of them. I would anticipate at least they're the same size, defend wings and can play make. Have five of those guys out there if you can. Um, the, the Gallinari signing didn't end up working out. I think I liked the fit for them too, but he wasn't going to play past the second round. So it's not as big of a deal, I don't think. <laughs> They got so much more annoying after signing Blake Griffin and even like him and Grant Williams are going to commit fucking war crimes against Giannis on defense. If they meet, I'm really scared about it. Um, I don't know. One thought on Boston. Let's just talk about every contender and give like one thought Boston finals team lost to them in seven. How are you feeling? Yeah, I know they're going to annoy the shit out of me this year. That's yeah. <laughs> that's really all I know. I mean, they, yeah, adding somebody like Blake Griffin to a team that already is pre- pretty annoying and yeah. walks around a lot and does yeah. whatever. I mean, I don't blame them for it, to be honest. No. They, they, it, it's smart. It works and it helps them win. Um, but it's annoying for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think. I think they're going to be good. They'll be, they'll be, they're probably the team that still scares me the most for the Bucs in the East this year. Yeah. A lot of those scary teams are unproven. We'll get to them, but real quick, I'm not high on the heat this year. I think they're going to be a bottom five uh, seed in the playoffs. I don't think they're going to be a plan. They'll have a seed. They're, Spo, Jimmy and Bam are too good to not have like an actual playoff seed, but it's going to be four or five. I think, um, this changes if they acquire a four like Jay Crowder, but they simply just didn't address it. They have serious, uh, they don't have trade fodder and they don't have money, so they couldn't fill it. But I buy the Caleb Martin at power forward. I think that's going to work. I just don't think it works for 30 minutes a game. Yes. You know, uh, I like, I, Jovich looks pretty good. No, they're picking the draft, Nikola Jovich, especially in a development system like the Heat, but it's not going to be this year. Um. Lowry solves the last time they had no power forward. They had no point guard either. And Lowry solves that they were an eight seed that year. Um, Lowry solves that, but is he healthy? Is Jimmy healthy? Is Bam healthy? They have no starting power forward, let alone a backup power forward. And their backup center is Dwayne Dedman, who's been ancient for three years, despite a really good backup center, all credit due. So not high on them. Newcomers, let's talk about Atlanta first, who dogged our asses in Abu Dhabi in games that really didn't matter. The Junte Murray is probably like the scariest player they could have uh, acquired outside of Pascal Siakam. I really thought the one, you know, there was like three months there after Pascal's terrible post-finals year that if you sent them three first round picks and some stuff, Toronto would have gotten off that contract. You would have had to overpay to get him, but you could have gotten Pascal Siakam if you wanted to. And Atlanta 100 should have, you know, John Collins, Cam Reddish, three picks, fucking, you know, finals bound. 
Pascal Siakam is a genuine second option in this league for a team. Mm-hmm. If your number one option is an offensive dynamo like Trey, he's among the best. But beyond him, DeJounte Murray is going to destroy the Bucs. Oh, yeah. uh, athletic, rim running, rim pressure guards have torched the Bucs since Budenholzer took over. And the only other kind of guards that torch the Bucs are heavy shooters and pull-up guys like Trey Young. Probably the best backcourt in the Eastern Conference that's factoring in Garland and Mitchell because I feel more confident about facing them as a backcourt than Trey. Like, we forget how good Trey Young is. Genuinely, very, like, you always struggle like with hyperboles and stuff like that, but I don't know that there's three players that I would rather have in a playoff series in the Eastern Conference more than Trey Young right now obviously future you want Mobley, you want ban carroll and shit like that but right now maybe katie or Kyrie. but i think it's Giannis, Embiid, and then trey no one on the heat no one maybe tatum maybe but even then you know trey breaks the game so much more and we might get the akungu year that they, that i i have been feeling was going to happen for a while uh <laughs> I, I don't think he fits with Clint. Uh he fits with Collins, but where do the minutes come from? They're not gonna move Clint. He's too good of insurance. Um, but a lineup of DeJunte, Trey, Hunter, Collins, Onyeka, Kongu. And and then if you swap out Collins or Hunter, who's being you, you know it's an important year for DeAndre Hunter, like really important. He's either a starting three in this league or he's not. And we find that out this year, but it like people think it matters. It doesn't. They have Justin Holiday. Justin Holiday can start at the three in the playoffs. If you have three all-stars next to him, you know, an underrated pickup in the Kevin Herter trade, Aaron Holiday, they also got coming off the bench was a perfectly fine backup point guard. They have more depth. They have more star talent. The only thing holding them back is a, somewhat stubborn coach and that that's probably going to be what kills them in the playoffs because they're not getting past the conference finals this year but they're probably going to get to the conference finals like they're beating cleveland in a, in a series i think um a difficult one but yeah give me give me a couple thoughts on <laughs> on the, the 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 scary hawks yeah i mean just watching them the last two games of this preseason kind of forgot about some of the depth honestly yeah and they didn't i mean Bogdan's not even playing for them right now. Right. Um, yeah, I Dejounte Murray's been one of my favorite. I mean, I think he's the closest thing to Drew Holiday of just yeah. not exactly the same play style, but just in terms of impact on both ends, I think he's super, super similar to Holiday, and that's why he was. They were asking for a Holiday type deal, right? Right. Um, and that's why you pay a Holiday type deal for him, right? Right. And yeah, him being able to take on that lead guard. Um, instead of Trey having to worry about it or even being close to guarding that guy yeah. is going to be just huge for them. They, I still think that because of their bigs, somebody like Giannis can just beat them. Yes. Um, Okongu can't, like, he Okongu can guard him one-on-one him, a lot better than other guys. He guarded Giannis as well as just about anyone, anybody in that Eastern Conference Finals. Um before the injury and before they just stopped playing him. Um, right. Yeah. But no, I, I like, I like that roster a lot. I do worry that they're going to be held back a little bit by the coaching and yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I would say 
up there with the Celtics in a series against them. They yeah. don't scare me. I think in terms of overall, the Celtics are better, but I think for Bucks purposes, yeah. the Hawks, the Hawks match up pretty well. They'll be a tough one. If they figure out either the three or four, because truthfully, both of those guys, not one or the other, have been mild, not incredible, but mild disappointments so far, I think. I think John Collins is in the wrong system entirely. I don't think he's a number two in this league. I think he's a number three, like a Bosch level type of player. Not as good, but you know what I mean, in terms of that type of mm-hmm. team. Um, but he just needs the the chance to do it somewhere else. And if it does, it's going to become it's going to come on like one of the worst teams possible. So I'm really not like super hopeful. It would be cool if um, they already did trade once this season, but like him next to Sabonis probably makes sense in Sacramento. Things like that. Harrison Barnes coming back would be so good for Sacramento or Atlanta. Holy fuck! But yeah. either one of those being figured out, and honestly, package both of them for a three or a four, and then just use Justin Holiday. They don't have a backup four right now. It's probably Jalen Johnson, who we didn't see at all last year, but he kind of has some. T- like I like they didn't play their young guys last year not because they weren't good it's just nick mcmillan doesn't you know right and they say there's quotes that this year jalen johnson will get minutes like i saw a quote from nate mcmillan not even just that though aj griffin is going to be better than kevin herter right away and he's going to fill the kevin herter role. looked good like they should have taken tari eason 100 percent. like every team in the team should have but aj griffin is going to be uh, what Kevin Herter is in that system in year one. Uh, Atlanta's scary. Let's do Cleveland. We got three and a half minutes, and then we'll do one more refresh. Uh, Cleveland made the biggest trade of the summer. Um, that's accounting for all the big trades that happened this summer, but they made it. They paid a somewhat King's ransom for Donovan Mitchell, which is something that you pay every single time if you're making him your number two or your number three. It is not what you pay if you're the New York Knicks and he's your number one. And everyone, for whatever reason, the media was attacking them. I thought it was the only smart move they made the whole offseason. I didn't like any of their other moves. I like Hartenstein, but I don't think any of their moves panned out are going to pan out. I think Brunson is a fucking fine player, but he doesn't change. They don't make the playoffs or the play in, in my opinion. Um, and not trading for Mitchell. Awesome. Good for them, man, yep. because that would have made them so much worse off in the long run in Cleveland though. Darius Garland is super underrated for what he is. The league is teeming with young guards right now. And he's among the very best of them, probably the best young guard in the East outside of LaMelo ball, who is doomed in Charlotte. We're not even going to talk about them. Garland Donovan Mitchell, who is six one, but is probably the biggest six one guy in the league. He's got a huge wingspan. He's very sturdy and strong and, we didn't cover this with DeJunte, but everyone says they don't defend. It doesn't matter. Like, as much as you want these guys to defend in the regular season, they don't have to. Our guys, like Drew doesn't defend near the level that he does in the playoffs in the regular season. People are saying DeJunte hasn't been a level, like his defense has been underrated since he started going scoring 20 points a game. Just wait until he tastes a game that fucking matters. I promise you he's going to do shit. Donovan Mitchell is a, like a legitimate all-star. He'll probably be an Eastern all-star. The three is a question mark. We'll go back to that. Mobley is going to be, I don't really know how to describe it, but he's going to be a Giannis defender. Like there's going to be very soon in the NBA where we had none, you're going to have less than a handful, five people that can guard Giannis one-on-one, which is a lot more than there used to be. And that's scary. And Cleveland has one, Evan Mobley. 
And Mobley has some offensive game too. He claps that thing too. Then you got Jared Allen, who's just the best non-shooting big man in the game. Probably Um, he's got great hands. He finishes everything inside and he blocks everything inside. He can play drop probably some advanced drop too. He's not a switch big, but there are highlights of him switching onto a guard and holding his own. Like those exist. You can find those. Those four are the best four in the East. No. Those four are the best four like in the, the East. Oh, teams? Like uh, the, the, like, uh, um, or that four group of like, four like players. There's, there's no team with a group of four that's better than that. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Um, but before we talk about our own thoughts on who's going to start at the three for them, those four players, each one, if you have thoughts on, if you have multiple thoughts on them, go. Yeah. I, I love Garland. I loved him at, um, in the draft that year. Yeah. Um, he didn't have that great of a rookie year, but I well, think he tore he his ACL too, right? That, yeah. Like in that the second year. I think that, that was may, it. I can't remember which year it was. It took him a little bit of time before people started seeing what he was capable of. Yeah, um, yeah. A lot of people obviously preferred Sexton for a while there, um, but I think they made the right choice. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's probably in terms – I mean, along with Lamelo, Trey's still pretty young. He doesn't yeah, get talked about like a young, but he's got to be, what, 23, 24 right now? Once you enter that sort of like top 10, 12 situation, right. it's not fair, but you do get taken out of like the up and coming conversation. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's in that LaMelo type range where it's it's a top 40 player probably already-ish. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mitchell, I'm probably lower on Mitchell than some yeah. people, but um I think together that's going to be a really tough pairing to stop. Um, They can score. You can run pick and roll. You can run anything. You can both run off screens and make shots. They can both finish. Um, Mitchell especially can finish above the rim. Mm -hmm. Um, So it'll, that'll be a fun pairing. I thought that Conley and him were going to be fun together. I know that these two are going to be really fun together. And that had Um, more to do with Conley than it did with Mitchell. Yeah. He just, regressed <laughs> yeah um but Mobley yeah I mean that dude is a he's a stud yeah he, dude. I like Kate Cunningham a lot and I at the time would have picked him first and Mobley would have been second I think if I were redrafting I would I would go the opposite sure um and that's not on <laughs> Cunningham at all I think Mobley can be Kevin Garnett-esque yeah um that's not out of the question not Thon Maker um but Thon. he can he can do he can be that type of player. He's going to still have to add weight, but um, he's yeah. just incredible on the defensive end, makes shots from all three levels. And I think especially he's going to make threes even more as he goes on. Um, yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, I, Alan, you nailed it. I mean, he's just, he's really good. And I'm really glad he's not on the nets. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. wasn't. I'm really glad he wasn't on the nets in that series against the nets. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, they're, they're good. They're so good. And I love, by the way, I give the flowers every chance I can. J.B. Bickerstaff, man. I hope he doesn't get the Brett Brown treatment where they go to the playoffs, they lose in like the second round. They're like, we need Mike D'Antoni or some bullshit, you know? 
Uh, and I, I don't, I think Beckerstaff has a lot of goodwill with that franchise. Um, he's a nepotism baby, but he's been, he's been working for it for a long time. Like he put in his due as much as he should have and, and got the opportunity to coach a dog shit Cleveland team with no mm-hmm. prospect. Like Colin Sexton was like the shining player on there. We just saw him get moved yeah. as like one eighth of a, of a package for an actual NBA all-star. Um, and I love Sexton, by the way, uh, that's nothing against him. I think in, I think half the team could start, half the league could start him right now, including playoff oh, yeah. teams, pretty, including the bucks, by the way, you and I talked about him for, yeah, he, for a second there. <laughs> yeah, he could, oh, he could, if he was our two, we'd, I mean, he'd be, uh, the successor to Drew's throne at that point, which mm-hmm. that's what we're looking for. We're going to talk about that in a second. Um, let's talk about the other ones. I don't take either of Brooklyn or Philly seriously. Um, Brooklyn, because the chemistry is not going to like, they don't look cohesive at all right now. And I am higher on Ben Simmons than most. I'm of the personal opinion that if you're in the Western conference and you have a top five player who's offensive minded, and you're particularly worried about a Dallas matchup in the playoffs, there's no one better you could acquire than Ben Simmons. And that includes Dallas, by the way, who would be incredible with Ben Simmons. I think you could get him for two first picks and salary match right now. I think he's worth that. If you have a top five player, do not add him if you're Portland. Okay. Um, But that's how good I think he is. I just don't think Kyrie is necessarily bought in. I think KD, if they lose like three games in a row, will just check out and, and, and not like, not that I fully blame or anything. I like the idea of full-time starter, Nick Claxton. I think he's a a fine enough center in this league. He's not going to be a dominator for them, but he's probably going to look worth two years, 20 million this year. I'll say that at least. Um, I like Dayron Sharp off the bench for them at their backup center. I love, they've still got Patty, Joe Harris, really weird pieces. You know, Royce O'Neal is going to play 35 minutes for them in the playoffs. I'm, he goes to another team that just needs him to be their best wing defender. That sucks for him. Um, but I don't buy the Cam Thomas stuff either. I, I buy it on a team that has a rim runner like Claxton and they're going to win 20 games and he can just go out there and do whatever. He's not going to like play next to Katie or Kyrie. And when he's replacing them, he's not going to do the offensive things. So I don't buy it for that reason. Do you have any different thoughts on this, on the Nets at all? No, I mean, Cam Thomas, if he's on a bad team can score probably 22, 24 points. Yeah. 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 But he's not a good player. He's no, yeah. he's okay. But he, he, he's a bucket getter who doesn't do much of anything else, which is cool, but it's not going to help them. Yeah. A lot of guys you see come out of the draft year after year. And if they land on the right team, you know, they can do stuff, but he's effectively Marcus Howard, which is fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. The 76ers actually have a very different thing. They're my pick for the number one seed in the East because they're going to try hard. Like they are, the, yep. they are, they are your uh, classic cares too much about the regular season team this year. Starting lineup is rock ass solid. James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, likely Tobias Harris and PJ in some way out of the three or four, and Joel Embiid. If that's a, a Spo coach team, you win three titles. You know what I mean? Yep. But they don't. And their bench is really good ish. DeAnthony Melton is probably the best backup point guard in the Eastern Conference. It should start games for them if either Maxi's defense doesn't hold up or Harden starts to show signs of uh, regression. You've, their starting shooting guard is probably, or their backup shooting guard is probably still Furkan Korkmaz. Um, coming off a solid Eurobasket for Turkey, who's always, he's, he's, um, 
he's fine. He's a he's Grayson Allen right now. Um, I think if he was in the Buck system, he would look very similar to, to mm-hmm. Grayson Allen. Uh, they still have Niang, who was really good for them for the regular season and disappeared in the playoffs. I'm not really sure why, because he's a wing that hits threes, not necessarily in the playoffs, but plays good defense. I think it might have been that he's very slow. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people on that team are very slow. No backup forward unless there's do, they're really doing the Paul Reed at four thing. And then a great regular season backup center in Montrez Harrell. Like, probably like the best regular season backup that Embiid has had, which is an indictment of the 76ers front office more than anything else. That's really good 10. That's a really mm-hmm. good 10. They still have flexibility for more. Um, they got picks. No, they traded picks for in the Harden thing, so they don't have all their picks. But the thing is, like, and if you look at Sixers fans, they're going to say the same thing. Uh, Real Hooper Piltrill, Trill Pilt, great account, big fan, uh, classic, like, East Coast white guy fan, but, like, in a more self-aware way. Uh, he'll tell you they're going to lose in the second round or they're going to lose to an eight seed that's, like, up and coming. You know, it's their, their script has been written unfortunately if they get the one seed mb gets his first mvp that's nice but beyond that the entire thing has been scripted i i'm still of the personal belief that if you just fire doc rivers after giving up a 3-1 lead to the hawks none of the ben simmons stuff happens and maybe you still do move him but you have a lot more value right away doc rivers and i'll say this one time just to make it clear as far as people, and we've seen multiple, we've been reminded multiple times this offseason that NBA coaches, not just players, are sometimes just not good people. You know, they've got a lot of red in their ledger and they probably shouldn't have this opportunity. Doc Rivers seems to be, by all accounts, a good man of faith, whether that matters to you or not. The worst thing on his ledger is accidentally liking porn on Twitter, which is something I do on purpose all the time. So it really doesn't matter on that. That being said, I simply don't think he should have a job, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, or he or coach like, you know, an up like he's a great get you to the playoffs guy. If you're a team, you know, yeah. the Kings would have been would have loved to hire Doc Rivers, you know, or a team like that. But once you're past that, you need somebody else. And Philly hasn't figured it out. And that's personally why I don't take them seriously at all. On paper, best roster one through 10 in the East. And it's not going to matter at all. Any last thoughts on Philly before we move on? No, I mean, <laughs> Doc, Doc was perfect for that Clippers team that didn't have anybody yeah. right before they brought in everybody. Right. But he got them to an eight seed or whatever he did. But like teams will play hard for him, but he's not. He's just they'll play hard for him until he throws it. Like he throws a lot of people under the bus, you know, he does like Budenholzer by all accounts has fucked up in the playoffs to the level that that doc does too and you'll never hear him talk about anyone but himself even if you don't feel that but is actually taking responsibility because sometimes it feels like he just says that because he's supposed to he's not just saying like guys quit on me which doc does all the time yeah so weird yeah it's not my fault they just weren't playing for me (laughs) for me it's uh so let's talk about this projection right now i've got them as a three seed the bucks probably three seed is a good target chris is going to miss some time And after that, he's going to be a little rusty. It's a wrist injury. And that's going to play into the win-loss. But we have good depth. I don't really see slippage beyond injuries much more than that. And right now, they're probably still my pick for the finals. It's really hard to to 
bet against them. Fully healthy them last year, probably make it, even, even as a flawed team, and they're a flawed team this year. Uh, disagree with any of that? No, no. Yeah. I would have them three. Things go poorly, four at the probably floor. Yeah. If, well, barring a Giannis major injury. That's right. right. And would, but um, other than that, if it's relatively healthy, I can't see lower than four. I'd kind of be surprised by a one just because they do take the regular season far less right. seriously now. And yeah, two through four wouldn't shock me anywhere there. Um, and once you get the thing with the West is the West has better teams, I think in terms of like actual contenders, but the contenders in the West have, are, are tailored to the West. They don't have people for Giannis. Yep. The Suns can't guard Giannis. The Clippers are very intriguing. They're my, that's my pick for the finals is Bucks Clippers. Very intriguing. And I think their five out defense would be effective against uh, the Bucks. But Giannis still averages 35 in that series, whether they win or lose. Um, the only team that actually has equipped is the Lakers who aren't going to sniff the finals, you know, and even then Giannis looks at AD like he's joining this. It really doesn't matter. Um, I'm really not worried about anyone in the Western conference right now, should they make it to the final. So if the bucks do, that's probably a really good chance for their getting a second title, non-personnel changes. And then we're going to do potential moves. And that's basically what we're going to wrap up. Okay. Non-personnel changes. We saw differences in the preseason so far, enough of a change that Budenholzer was treating it as a secret. He really didn't want to tell the press about it, which honestly, I would have probably preferred that too, you know, but um, the, they're limiting open threes, specifically corner threes a little bit more. And that is going to have consequences to their paint presence, but it's not about changing your scheme entirely. It's about tweaking it in the regular season. So if you have to commit to it for six minutes max in the playoffs, you can and you can effectively. The last time the Bucks did this, they won the title yep. almost entirely because of their switch defense being able to be turned on. The offense also has a little bit of off-ball action. Fucking hallelujah. Like, guys are moving off of ball in general on the offense. And that takes us ceiling-wise to an entire whole level if they commit to it. They don't always commit to that stuff. Um, I saw a tweet because I didn't watch the last Hawks game and I haven't had time to go back. I have league pass so I can watch it. Someone told me they, the first Spain pick and roll of Bud's tenure was run during that game. Hallelujah. So the, so even if the personnel doesn't change, and even I think you and I both think that the personnel will change at some point in the season with a trade yeah. or a buyout market. Even if not, the Bucks are clearly approaching the season differently and they didn't have to. They could have chalked it up to Chris being injured. A lot of people did. Um, and they could have, and they did it was like kind of run it back. But it's clear they're not running it back with their scheme as well. They're, they don't want it to get stale. So many teams this year are running it back, and it's going to end up hurting them. The Warriors are going to be worse in both the regular season and the playoffs. Um, the Grizzlies, I feel the exact same way about it. While the teams with fresh blood, like the Timberwolves, I think will strongly benefit from their changes. Let's see if Memphis or Golden State changes anything in their schematics, but I highly doubt it. The Bucks are. Spencer, uh, you've been watching these games and tweeting about them. I mentioned some of the more vague. You know, I, I'm not a, a, an X's and O's genius by any means. Have you noticed anything else? Or would you want to expand on the differences that I mentioned? Um, offensively, I haven't noticed anything super specific. But like you said, I think there is – 
a genuine effort to make something happen on the other end. So right. that really, it's honestly been as simple as like set a down screen and get somebody moving on the other Run, side. Run, kick, so and that, roll in general. Yeah. You know? I mean, literally, like you got your three guys on one side and you got two on the other. Have them do something on the other side so that those guys can't just stare at the ball. Right and be ready to help and be ready to jump a lane, like keep them occupied enough where they can't just do whatever they want on that side. Um, So there has definitely been some of that. And that's nice to see. I hope that it carries over. And then defensively, honestly, like the first 10 games of Bud's career here, that was kind of how they operated. They didn't leave the three point shooters. They tried to push a guy to a mid range pull up and they were trying to contest from behind and the guys from the wings weren't leaving to contest yeah. or to help on that stuff. It was just trying to feed them to like the elbows and to make contested mid-range shots. And right. a team like the Hawks is not the best team to be trying it against. I mean, it's not, they should be doing it now in the preseason, but right. in general, they're a bad matchup for it because Trey can floater you to death. Yeah. And DeJounte is a mid-range killer. He's one mm-hmm. of the best in the league beyond. I mean, he's, he's a Chris Middleton level yeah. mid-range shooter. Um, so those guys are going to tear it apart either way. Honestly, they're going to make threes. They're going to make mid range shots. To be honest, I'd rather still have them pull up for mid range and hope that yeah. that's where they have the struggles. Now you still have to stop them from getting inside. Um, but that's where Brooke and Giannis being two of the best rim yeah. defenders in the entire league come in. I mean, I think it is as simple as like, sometimes you just have to trust them to do the job and you yeah. don't need to be that secondary guy there because it just opens up something else and just let them do what they're really good at yeah 100 percent. and with atlanta they have mid-range killers but their interior guys are average at best clint capella has fine hands but he's not doing it like if he gets pressure he misses bunnies john collins can dunk anything but if he chooses not to dunk it it's a genuine question mark Mm -hmm. and a kongu we still don't know if he has hands he can catch lobs but we don't know if he has actual hands his his entire uh purpose is defensive and he more than makes up his purpose on that end but they don't have the interior finishing that I think would benefit the Bucks in that series. You mentioned uh, off-ball action. This is uh, one of the biggest positive we've seen out of Marjan is his cutting tendencies. Mm-hmm. Catching the ball and going to the rim is a question mark, but cutting in general, he is good at that. He knows when to and where to cut to. And I think once he, if he gets more reps with Giannis in the post, there's going to be a lot of connections there because he had some with Dante. Dante was pretty effective at that yep. too. One of the few things. Um, so we'll see if that, that leads in. Let's do potential moves on the horizon. Horace is cooking up. Like we know that Horace is going to pull the trigger on something that is newsworthy, whether it's positive or negative, it's going to be newsworthy. He was sniffing around Jeremy Grant, which genuinely puts us on like, the edge of dynasty conversations of how good that would have made us as a team. Uh, that does mean a hundred percent, no Marjan on draft night. He would have traded yeah. Marjan, which is fine. I mean, you have to, you know, uh, we have no idea. We would have never fallen in love with Marjan because the draft, it would have happened whenever the Blazers trade happened. It probably would have happened shortly after that, you know, um, that, makes it there's rumors uh, from a Zach Lopez from a couple days ago I was reading they were sniffing around on Boyan not Jordan Clarkson for a second there Boyan also makes us Boyan makes the Ingles uh signing a little irrelevant 
Um, not that they have the same playmaking, but if you acquire Boyan, you damn would have hoped to get a wing defensively in free agency as opposed to like a creator. Um, but he would have been a starter. Boyan, yeah. Boyan would have played like crazy minutes at the four next to Giannis and then jumbo lineups at the three. And then we know about confirmed that they talked about a deal with Clarkson. I think the interest from the Bucks is overblown because it would have happened by now. Yeah. If this was the the uh, when Elton Brand was still pulling trigger on deals for anybody that he could get a call for, this would have been done by now. If all it, it all it takes, I think, is multiple second rounders, Grayson and George Hill. If he had offered that, we would have Jordan Clarkson by now. Yeah. I think both of us agree, you and me, that's not value. I don't think. No. Um, I think Clarkson. I've I have had a desire, like burning desire to get one of those genre of guards, speedy shooting, offensive talented, figure out the defense when you get there. You know, you can find them in the draft in the late every year. You can find Tyrese Maxis, Desmond Baines, Bones Highlands. Fucking love Bones Highland, man. Uh, this year, I thought it was Jaden Hardy, and I was kind of bought into the Bucks taking him. They went with the other G League Ignite player. Hardy's probably not even ready this year anyway, but Nora is theoretically that, and Jordan Clarkson is theoretically that. But Jordan Clarkson is like the most flat soda version of that. Yeah. He doesn't hit threes. He's not a volume three-point shooter by any means. He's a good mid-range when his shot is hitting and he can finish at the rim. He's a pretty good finisher. He is essentially diet Coke D'Angelo Russell. And that's just not valuable to the bucks in the playoffs. I, I don't think that he could play against the Celtics in a, in a series. And that's pretty much how we should value every guy that we pick up from right. now on a team that plays three wings and two bigs or four wings in one big, you can't play Jordan Clarkson. Um, and you just, you can't trade all of your your trade chips for that. So I have here an absolute best case scenario for the Bucks. Two players that I mm -hmm. think are conceivable to acquire. But are there, is there anyone out there that you're keeping an eye on in either the trade market or the buyout market, excluding Jordan Clarkson? Not particularly. I'm kind of. First one I heard rumors of Clarkson, I was like, ah, eh, I wouldn't mind it. But the right. more you look at it, it's like, I don't think that helps us more in a playoff series than just having Grayson. So right. that's kind of how I would gauge any trade, like you were saying. Um, honestly, not off the top of my head. I haven't really been paying attention. I usually figure at this point, it's not going to happen preseason. So yeah, I, uh, I, I got to see who's actually competing and who's decent in the in the NBA before I start worrying right. about it too much. Cause we're not going to be making a trade with another right. contender for a playoff player, most likely. And Horst is um, Horst is doing the same thing. The reason that like, if Clarkson for the deal, we mentioned couple first Grayson and Hill, if that's the only deal on the table at the deadline and Grayson hasn't looked to take like a serious step forward, Horst probably pulls the trigger on that to try and bring in some sort of change to the team. Um, but outside of that, he is going to wait until the buzzer for that deal to come along. He was looking at Grant. He was looking at Boyan. It's clear that he wants a wing. He's prioritizing that to a guard, even though a guard would be sick. I think he's out there. 
I think the team is going to be very bad and they should value him, but they have not shown like they do with a lot of their assets that they do value him. If we can acquire PJ Washington, it is the best, like it's close to a pipe dream because he's a younger talent, but they didn't sign him an extension. They just picked up his team option. They have no direction. It should be up, but it's not, you know, they have no direction. They're, if you're listening to this, it's October 9th. October 17th is the deadline to uh, keep Miles Bridges' qualifying offer, and they're going. To, he's going to accept it, and they're going to bring him on the roster. I can tell you that right now. They've been waiting for it to die down, and the abs because they didn't pull the qualifying offer. They had a deadline to do that, and they didn't. They're going to keep it. He's going to be on the roster, uh, and it's disgusting. But PJ Washington, he doesn't necessarily want to be there. I don't think he has much of a relationship with Lamelo. Jordan doesn't seem to value him. Neither Kupchak. He makes five million. He can be done for George. And I would do the 2029 pick. Like at this point, Giannis is going to be there for another decade. Knock on wood, you know, shit like that. But um, that is worth it. He is a 23, 24 year old who can play the four, the five and the big three. Like if you can play PJ at the three in the playoffs, like we did with Bobby and Giannis or Brooke and Giannis, you can theoretically do it with PJ Washington as well. And he becomes our crunch time four next to Giannis. Um, he is what, um, what was the guy's name who came over? Marvin Williams from Charlotte. Yeah. He is the, the, what he was, I mean, Marvin Williams was the best four we had before Bobby. He looked great in those playoffs before we lost mm-hmm. in the bubble. Um, and I think PJ Washington can be very similar to that. And then in addition, this is a conviction that I have for this season, not that the Milwaukee Bucks will land him, but Mike Conley is going to be bought out. He makes $25 million this year, and the rumors are, truthfully, there is zero trade market for him. Because as much as a contender would love to have him as, if you have like a, a top-level shooting guard, as your point guard, he would be great. And as a backup, that would be great. Almost all the contenders that had guard issues have filled them. So no one's going to trade for $25 million a year. That's already gone. His next year's contract is non-guaranteed. So if you waive him now, there's no there's no issues for next year. The Jazz want to lose, clearly. Conley wants to win. They've already sold multiple of their vets. Clarkson is next. Uh, and I would anticipate that being the end of it. Malik Beasley is worth an actual first-round pick, and I just don't know if they're going to get it this year. They're not trading Vanderbilt. I don't understand all these like fans on Twitter cooking up trade machine Vanderbilt. He's 22. And he guards one through five. He's six, nine. He has maybe not even an ounce of offensive talent, but there is no there. He's in my opinion, he's worth two first round picks for a team that's rebuilding. So I really don't understand why people are talking about him. Like he's on the trade block. He's simply not. Um, but Conley is going to get back. Not right away. A few months in after another fat gets went out, I think he's going to be bought out. And then at that point, the, the Clippers would have been the number one pick. Like they would have, they would have scooped up Conley before he cleared waivers. Um, but they got John Wall and Reggie Jackson, who I think Reggie Jackson is actually going to start over John Wall. They don't need him. The, the Lakers make some sense, but they have six point guards and Conley really doesn't strike me as the guy that goes to the Lakers, like this version of the Lakers. If right. it's, if it's a, a Laker team that's before Russ and they still have a little bit of good vibes, they go for it. Memphis would make a lot of sense, but they've got Brooks, Ja, 
Desmond Bain, and they re-signed Tyus Jones to a tasty deal to continue being their backup. Like, he's not taking Tyus Jones' minutes, you know? At that point, Philly was one of the teams that needed so much point guard help, and they filled it more than, like, he's not playing over DeAnthony, and he's not playing over James Harden. So, unless he wants to join, like, a mid-playoff team, like a Chicago Bulls, who probably won't have Lonzo for the whole season, there's optimism, but I really don't see it at this point, or... Um, like just some regular season team that's not going to make it past the second round. And I don't necessarily see him doing that. So that's where the, the idea, I think the Conley buyout is, is going to happen. I don't know if it ends up with the Bucks, but I think that's more likely than the PJ trade. Those two guarantee a title, I think. And it was the absolute best case scenario. Conley's better than Clarkson, if you're wondering, uh, especially for this team. That's like a that's like a pipe dream, right? Those two guys is probably a pipe dream. Conley feels very possible after you lay it all out. Like it would make a lot of sense. Not even, I mean, including Joe Ingles' connection can't hurt. Yeah. Um. He mm, probably just missed Grayson at both stops that he was at. Actually, I feel like that may have been the same. He's off. part of the deal. Grayson's part oh, of the, yeah. the Conley yeah. deal. Yeah, originally. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, he would make a lot of sense for the Bucs. Um, as much as I love Javon, it would be an upgrade yeah. over Javon in that regard. Um, and then PJ Washington is one that, like, I, he's like 6'7", six, 6'8", six, I believe. Yeah. Um, they play him at the five. He can't protect the rim at all. No. But – that's not what he would have to do here. So, yeah, I, I would like that a lot. I think there's a lot of PJ Tucker, Bobby ish type combination there almost yeah. in that he can, he can guard threes and fours probably pretty He's decently. Make some shots. Of the shot. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think the Bucks have to be looked out for when surrounding Giannis, Chris, Drew, and Brooke are all past 30. Mm-hmm. And you have to be looking for, not that they fill the exact oh, yeah. same roles, but you have to find the guard, wing, and big of the future. Marjan is theoretically the wing of the future. I can mm-hmm. see that happening. It's it's a really, they have, there's a lot of promise there. The big, a lot of people wanted Mo Bamba. A lot of people wanted Miles Turner. At this point, both of which you probably have to include Brooke. Bamba makes 10 a year, so later in the season, if they don't want, you know, if they realize they have, two seven footers too many and they decide to move them you can get them without but i'm not as high on like i'm high on bomba as like a starter next to Giannis, but i don't think he bends the game at all. yeah and i think pj washington has big switchability um some offensive talent especially in terms of the three-point shot once it gets going and could be the roller like, I think he can rim run and get some pressure mm-hmm. there. I think he would be – I think he's the only big of the future that's genuinely available on the market right now, and I'm sure they're sniffing around it. Conley is – Conley would be a starter next to Drew, I think, honestly. Like, if you want to fill the shooting guard with Drew and just let Conley run the point, he's way better fucking playmaker than Drew Holiday out of the pick and roll. Um so I think I think in crunch time it would be Conley, Drew, Chris, Giannis, yeah. and a fourth player, whether it be Brooke or a, a wing. Um, but something is going to happen. That's the takeaway. Horse is going to make a move. This is what's the there's a line from the Zach Lopez. Um, they will wait all season 
to find that piece. Like they're going to, do, they're going to do something. I'm, that's a conviction that I have. That's everything that we've got. Seven and a half minutes here. Anything else, Giannis and Chris entering year 10 together, a full decade. It's crazy milestone. Uh, never thought that this type of thing would happen for the Bucks ever. I thought if they ever had a chance to steal a title, it would be a scrappy 04 Pistons team that puts it together for a run or two yeah. that is very lucky. And we're just a full on top 10 player of all time, just on the roster year after year. Uh, is there a grace and leap to be had is probably one of the bigger narratives of the entire season. It's probably one of Jorst's uh, horse to-do list things. I am pessimistic, but there's a puncher's chance. What happens with Vildoza and Lindell Wigington, neither of which will be signed? Vildoza, maybe he goes back to Europe? Because um, I, I, his agent was under the impression that he was guaranteed a three-year deal, right? I saw that quote after he was cut. There was something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. And Wigington just straight up deserves to be on an NBA <laughs> roster right now. He does. Um, I, yeah. So I don't know if he gets cut, I'm sure he's going to get scooped up uh, and very likely by a competitor. I think, I think he was signed to an exhibit 10, which means the herd oh. have his rights. Um, okay. So I believe he's at least going to yeah. start the season with the herd, but yeah, I I'd feel like as soon as somebody's in need of bringing right. up a G leaguer, he's going to be at the top of a lot of teams lists I, yeah. regard. Um, and he should, you know, I don't think he has mm-hmm. much trade value and I think Javon is better. Like there's oh, a I, chance that Lindell is, could be, you know, I feel pretty comfortable saying Javon's the better player, yeah. but um, that's just, defense mostly i mean i think they're both similar offensively but javon's definitely a better defender so that's why they're going to prefer him um if he stays on the herd the whole season that's cool but it's this is the season he deserves to be in a rotation so i hope someone scoops him up and it's uh, not a competitor like a direct competitor like i could totally see the heat who don't really have a backup point card do that but um that's about it i don't want to talk about the ownership shakeup. if it happens we'll talk about that in the news but we're not about it now keep an eye out i think the big takeaway from this is that the bucks are back this year they're fully healthy one thing that you have to pay attention to is that most of these guys had an off season for the first time in three years super big deal um Giannis is coming off of tough defensive competition in the euro basket i think we're going to see mv3 spencer last takeaways final takeaways uh plug your twitter anything um no i i do think we're going to see a third MVP or at least a deserving season of the third MVP for Giannis. Um, I mean, he's been good enough a couple of years too, but I'm not going to complain about who got it. They earned it too. Um, No, I, I, I feel like I feel better going into this year than I did last year. just because they have the break. Yeah. Um, I feel like Ingalls is a worthy addition of being excited about. Um, And I like that it's a mostly returning team. That's going to be. Yeah, Pretty good. Um, I think they're one move, but this team can win the title. Uh, yeah. they're, not, they're not necessarily going to, but they can. Uh, we'll know a lot more in a couple of weeks, and I'm very interested to see the shakeups. Guys, uh, Spencer, you don't do – you're not a, a, a quote-unquote content maker, but he does tweet a lot about almost strictly uh, Wisconsin-based sports while mixing in thoughts on their opponents and, you know, uh, state of 
their leagues or conferences at S Michaelis. It's M I C H A E L I S two, three, four. He'll be tagged in the tweets as well. Give him a follow if you're interested in that sort of things, but don't expect like a content machine. Uh, some people always do. No. <laughs> um, Spence, thanks for coming on. We're going to be messaging a ton, but it's nice to talk in person or, you know, face to face for the first time in a hot second. We will post this tomorrow and i'll keep you updated we'll see you guys probably consistently now dre is supposed to get wi-fi tomorrow so we should be able to connect we'll talk about the western conference uh projections until then at underscore guccifer if you want stuff from me i'm i have a sub stack that's coming out soon it's going to be weekly but i'm going to give more details about that when it happens and follow the pod at hoop truther pod on twitter and hoop truther studios on youtube we will see you sometime soon